0: If you've got a Bible, Ephesians 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. I want to read this passage, I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. The word of our King Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, comes to us like this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word to us. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we ask now that you would center us on your word, that you would um, draw us out to attention with your voice and that you would guide us, direct us, correct us, encourage us, all the things appropriate today for formation in your kingdom. God, I pray that today you would call some in this room out of shame. I pray that you would call some out of a place of undue guilt. I pray that you would set some free from, the, from fears and anxieties and depressions. Um, God, I pray that you would comfort those in this room that already are nervous about this topic because of... Um, infertility. God, I pray that you would comfort and that you would do ministry where my words and this sermon and what we're doing in this room would fall short on our own strength. Would you fill up what's lacking in this room and bring your presence that is for our good. And so Jesus, we confess you are good and you do good. And we receive your word now. We pray in your name, good King. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, one of my, uh, one of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan, has this great line on parenting. You know, he has a big family, if you know Jim Gaffigan, and he has this great line on parenting. He, he uh, had this, this comedy sketch one time where he was talking about how he and his wife had just had their fourth child. And he says, no one celebrates your fourth child, you know? Like, first child is all good, second child, hey, congratulations. By the fourth time, it's like, what are you guys doing, right? Why are you still doing this? And so he has this line, he says, if you want to know what it's like to have a fourth child— Imagine yourself drowning, grasping for help, right? And then he says, and then someone hands you a baby. <laughs> like that, that's, that's what it's like. So that's just generally funny, no matter where you are in the room, but it's also relevant for the scene at my house. My wife and I have four kids under the age of seven. I have a picture of our family we'll throw on the screen. Uh, and so, yeah, here's our tribe. I've got a seven-year-old live I've got a five-year-old Scarlett, a three-year-old named Ezra, and then Asa, the little guy who never looks at the camera. Uh, this, was the, this was the picture I could find that like most of our family are at the camera, so it's got to be good enough for church, right? So uh, th- this, is, this is my family, and we love all the energy that comes in our home, in, our, in, in the life of our home. My wife and I recently looked at one another, though, and we said, reality is we have four kids. It might look like we know what we're doing, but the reality is we spend most of our trying time just trying to look like we know what we're doing, right? Most of our time as parents is like, I'm just trying to hold this thing together and not let anyone else feel all the anxious presence that I feel of having to hold all of this thing together. We occasionally look at one another and we'll say, are we really old enough to be doing this? Are we really, like, we still need parents, right? Like, am I old enough to have other people's lives in my charge? Um, For those of you who are parents, you know this is real, right? Like, you know this is real. Parenting is an absolutely amazing undertaking. There is nothing else in this life that is simultaneously as thrilling and as terrifying at the same time, right? You're like, yes, this is a beautiful blessing, don't screw it up, right? Like you feel, you feel both of those things together. And, uh, and so if you have this life and these lives that are given to your care to comfort, to train, to care for, to raise up one day to be a responsible adult that would know how to interact with the world around them, and all the while, here's what's going on with parenting, right? You're trying to raise these other lives, and yet your own insecurities are surfaced in the process, Your own fears are surfaced in the process. Your own deficiencies are surfaced in the process. Your own daddy issues are surfaced in the process. There's all these other things that come out of you when you're like, I'm trying to put that away and do this responsibility, but it's all jumbled up there together, and it's complex. It's complex. So it's an understatement to say when it comes to the issue of parenting we need help. <laughs> like, we need help. We need wisdom. We need direction. And that's the aim today. But, but I want to give one caveat before I set into this. I'm not coming to you as an expert on this topic. Like, I just think it's important that you hear that, and it's worth a laugh, right? Like, I'm not I'm not coming to you like an expert today. I'm not an armchair quarterback telling you how to run your house, right? In fact, there's many places in in this preparation this week where I just found my own deficiencies of like, I'm not even sure I'm qualified to to do this. So so here's my hope today. I want to point you to God's Word. I want, I want us to come around God's Word together and then have God's Word sort of call us out and then call us forward as we would seek to understand what it looks like to have the next generation underneath us and, and move them forward for the kingdom of Jesus. So, so if you have a Bible, uh, go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Here's what I want you to know as we jump into Ephesians 6. You've got to see where this text, where these words fall in line with the flow of the book of Ephesians. Right? So it's the beginning of chapter 6, and if you know your Bible well enough, Ephesians 5 ends with talking about marriage. Maybe the most famous chapter in all the Bible talking about marriage. It moves on from marriage to then Ephesians 6 talking about parenting. It seems like the logical progression of dealing with home life. Out from Ephesians 6 beyond this, it's going to then talk about uh, how to understand um, sort of ethics in your vocation. How to understand what it is to be a boss or a manager. How it is to be an employee. So it, it carries through these different dynamics of functional everyday life. But all of this comes underneath, if you have a Bible, turn back to chapter 5 in verse 18. All of these words, all of these directives come underneath the driving command in Ephesians 5, 18. Look at what it says. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Here's the verb, here's the command that's driving everything, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the life, the wisdom, of God. Be filled with the direction of the kingdom and the order of Jesus. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And then everything that comes after that in marriage, this is what a Spirit-filled marriage would look like. This is what a Spirit-filled home would look like. This is what Spirit-filled parenting looks like. This is what Spirit-filled vocation looks like. What's happening in this text is it's saying that what it is to be a Christian, what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the presence of God is something that attaches to every single area of your life. Very often what we want to do with spirituality and faith is think that it's some sort of detached set of ideas out here, and then there's this real life that I live over here, and these sort of speak into it when I need their comfort, but they don't really govern every aspect of my life. But what this text is saying, be filled with the Spirit, now let's talk about marriage. Now let's talk about relationships. Now let's talk about parenting. Now let's talk about the home. Now let's talk about work. And then what comes after this is warfare. <laughs> like that's what comes after this in the book of Ephesians. As if to say, what we're talking about here, the enemy does not like. The enemy does not approve of. The enemy does not endorse. And it's gonna be all out warfare. You will need the Holy Spirit in every area of life. And so this ought to be encouragement to us, right? Because what it shows us Is there's no area of your life that God overlooks. There's no area of your life that God overlooks. And He acknowledges to us the difficulty of parenting by telling us, you can't do this without my presence. You can't do this without my spirit, and I'm not expecting you to. I'm giving Him to you that you might be filled for the task. And so this means that parenting is a high and holy calling. One of the things about our church that I love is that we, we tend to skew a, a bit young. And so there's a lot of young families little lot couples in our church. And I get to have conversations and several conversations I'll get to have with young married couples is they'll talk about how they want to spend the early years of their marriage before having kids, accomplishing different things and living out significant parts of their life before kids come right? As if to say, well, once kids come, then all the significance stops, right? Uh, all, all of the significant things and the things I really want to accomplish and achieve come to an end. And so my wife and I had these conversations when we first got married. And, and one of the things my wife had said was that whenever we started having kids, and for us it was a five-year period of time, when I started having kids, I, she said, I want to I stay home. I want to be a stay-at-home mom. And so we, we sort of figured out what that would take for us. And when we had our first kid, we, we made that move. And it wasn't long after that that my wife started coming forward with, with saying things like this. Sometimes I just don't feel like I'm doing anything significant anymore, right? So now there was this tension that was happening in our home and in her, and she was working through things about identity and purpose in life and the worth she was bringing to our marriage and to broader life. She said, I feel like, I, was, I, feel like I, I did things significant before, and now I just wipe butts all day, Right? I felt like I led a small group at church. I had a successful accounting career, and now I just clean up and fix food for other people all day, and I can't even have a two-minute conversation with another adult without fearing my oldest choking out my youngest, right? Real talk, right? Like, that's it's not my home. It's just crazy, although it is. It's real talk. And all the, mayor, the moms in the room are like, yeah, that's right. Get them. Now you're really preaching, right? But I mention all of that to say, There's a temptation, there's a temptation in all of us to think that a spiritually significant life is played out in a thousand different areas other than parenting, right? That in parenting, it's just sort of a responsibility that you add to your life, but the spiritually significant things that you're doing are outside of that. And so particularly, I wanna say just to moms, single moms, moms to be single dads, I want you to hear this. What you're doing And what you do day in and day out, the things that no one sees, the things that you get little to no credit for or recognition for, you got to hear this. God sees those things. God sees those things. He knows those things. And those things are significant in his kingdom, significant in his kingdom. And that's not just placating that. Everywhere the kingdom of God moves, everywhere that God shows up, life flourishes. Parenting is a kingdom of God thing. Inherently a kingdom of God thing, right? When we talk about being a mom or a dad, we're not talking about a domestic life. We're talking about warfare. Like we're talking about the kingdom of God. This is again why Ephesians 6 talks about warfare right after talking about parenting right because every time the enemy sees life flourishing every time the enemy sees a family that's pushing toward the kingdom of God he's going to attack he's going to a strike and here's why because in the flourishing of family the enemy is reminded his time is short his teeth have been knocked out and one day his skull will be crushed right and so he rages for a short time now but Jesus reigns in the family who takes this seriously he reigns there right so this is a kingdom of God thing And it requires being filled by the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about what does spirit-filled parenting look look like? Look back at verse 4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so you say, what's up with that? Why aren't moms involved here? Why aren't they spoken to? Well, back up in verse 1, it says, children, obey your parents. Moms are certainly included in all of what's being spoken here. But, but he does, in verse 4, specifically address dads and call them to action. This is because this is the way God has set up the dynamics and the accountability of the home. He's given leadership um, to men in the home. Now, that doesn't mean dominance, right? That doesn't mean dominance. It doesn't mean... Uh, in in any kind of way, leading uh, because men can just do what they want. It means service and care. Ephesians 5 talks about Jesus, lead like Jesus, lay your life down, right, as Christ did for the church. It's not talking about dominance, it's talking about service and care. And so what's happening is both parents are being called to engage, and specifically dads, step forward away from dominance and away from passivity, That's why he addresses these things here. He's calling dads to away from dominance. This is not about ruling with authority in your home. And this is also not about disengaging and being absent in your home. It's not passivity. It's not dominance. It's service and care. Bring them up in the Lord is what it says. Bring them up in the Lord. And so what godly parenting is going to require is it's going to require both discipline and instruction. And that's one I want to sort of navigate our time around today. Discipline and instruction. So let me define these two terms. The first is sort of obvious, discipline. This is this is about accountability. This is about authority. Discipline is action oriented. It's about correction, bringing order to chaos and disobedience. Discipline is firm, discipline is important, but discipline is not fun right? Like all of us know that. Like I don't like being disciplined. No one likes being disciplined, but it's important. It's firm. It's about action. It's about accountability, but it's not the fun part. But now instruction on the other side. Instruction is not just another word for discipline. There's a way in which sort of in our Western minds, we would think that both are just two words for saying the same thing, but the original language, the word instruction, means to counsel, to teach, and it has this relational undertone, this relational sense to it. So where discipline is action-oriented, instruction is word-oriented. Discipline is about expressing authority and correction, but instruction is about nurture and relational warmth. This is talking to your child, explaining things to your child. This is showing them affection and emotional support. This is the tender and affirming aspect of parenting. So the point is that spirit-filled parenting requires both discipline and instruction, authority and warmth. And so now to kind of step back from this, I, I think that everyone in the room would go, of course, right? Like no one disagrees with that. I'm not saying anything you probably wouldn't come up with on your own. But here's where I want to point to a little bit of insight left to ourselves even though we know parenting requires authority and warmth left to ourselves we will tend to lean heavy one way or the other we'll tend to lean heavy one way or the other so on one side you can have a tendency to express authority a heavy-handed kind of over parenting this is a do so because i said so kind of environment in your house right a militant, directive kind of authority that's expressed just to get things in order. But on the other side, there's a tendency to express relational and emotional warmth without any authority. So this is a, I'm going to be your best friend sort of model of parenting. I'm going to be your best friend, and I'm never going to correct. I'm just going to dote and affirm and build up all the time. But the Bible is teaching that when we parent this way, when we lean too much toward emotional warmth, too much toward a relational connection and not toward authority or toward authority and dominance and not toward, right, emotional warmth, what can end up happening is what he warns us against. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, right? So the corrective to anger, the, correct, the corrective to an exasperated child is discipline and instruction. Notice uh, one of the things I found interesting this week is that what exasperates a child is not discipline, right? Yes, children get angry. Yes, I get angry when I get disciplined. But that's not a bad kind of anger. That's just discomfort. What exasperates a child is when you don't discipline them, when you don't discipline. But it's also true on the other side. Affirming a child to the neglect of correction doesn't create a happy life, right? Affirming them and just doting on them without correction, it actually produces an enraged child who is spoiled and entitled, lacking the social skills to know how to operate in a world that doesn't cater to their every desire. It actually exasperates all the same, right? So don't provoke your children to anger. What do I do instead? Discipline and instruction. And so what makes parenting difficult, what makes this whole conversation difficult Is that you and I are prone to idolatry. You and I are prone to idolatry, and here's what I mean. Like, we're we're prone to making ourselves the center, or we're prone to making our kids the center. So on on the one hand, we do parent-centered parenting, which is, I'm I'm the one that's supposed to be served. I'm the one that's—all the comforts and preferences are supposed to match. I'm the one who's the center of the orbit in this home. On the other side, there's child-centered parenting, which suggests, hey, everything is going to be around you, revolve around you, everything's going to cater to you, everything's going to be about providing a life for you, right? But notice, in neither model is it God-centered. On one side, it's parent-centered. On the other side, it's child-centered. And I see this around me, and I see this in my own home. When your parenting becomes primarily about authority without warmth, Too much correction without seeking to understand your child and comfort them because you've made yourself the center, you're showing your authority and your own preferences are what really matters in the home, and you've made yourself God, right? You've made yourself God. So here's an example of this in my own home. We put our kids to bed, eight o'clock is bedtime around our house. We can almost systematically count on 8:15 being the first visitation from one or multiple of our kids back into the living room from the bedroom, right? put them all back to bed. We can then count on about 825, another visitation, right? Put them back to bed. About 840, we get another visitation. This is number three, right? Almost systematically every night this happens. By this time, my tone begins to rise, right? Things begin to get firm, and we're putting them back to bed. Now, do my kids need to go to bed? Yes. 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 They need sleep. They need a good eight hours. They, they need to go to bed. Do they need to obey? Yes. But here's what is honest if I'm going to just show my cards this morning. A lot of the times when my tone rises and things get firm, whether it's my wife or I, it's not so much because they need to go to bed and need to obey. It's because they're messing up Netflix time. <laughs> right? You got to go to bed. Why? Because I'm trying to eat this candy bar and I'm not sharing with you. <laughs> right? Right? I'm trying to have my comforts and my preferences. Now, it's right and good to have tone. It's right and good to be firm. It's right and good to demand obedience. Like that's right and good. It's right and good to put them to bed, right? But not so that you can carry out your preferences and comforts, but so that they actually are formed into a healthy life, right? So so notice what the passage says. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction. We get that of the Lord, of the Lord. So it doesn't say bring them up in discipline and instruction of your own comforts. I'm gonna discipline you and I'm gonna instruct you according to what's comfortable to me. That stings, right? I'm gonna discipline you and I'm, gonna com- and I'm going to instruct you based on my preferences, how I want things to go. No, they're actually, they're actually not my kids. They actually belong to God he's, he's given to, given them to me on loan, right? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline only parent, the parent centered parent, right? Here's why this is so dangerous. It's not just because it's firm and it's heavy handed. It actually shows our kids a false gospel, it actually shows our kids a false gospel. It teaches our kids something that most of us in this room struggle with, salvation by works, huh? Like this is the home I grew up in. I'm never good enough. It's never good enough. And so always striving, always trying to prove, always trying to justify. And what ends up happening is there's a subtle painting that's going forward in your house of a heavenly father that will only accept you or reject you based on your ability to obey, Right? A parent-centered parent actually paints the gospel of salvation by works, which is no gospel at all, right? Now, what if it's the other way? What if it's the other way? What if you're doing all instruction, all relational and emotional warmth, but no discipline? All the relational and emotional warmth without any expression of authority, this is how you've fallen into idolatry on the other side. You've become a child-centered parent, You're afraid of losing your child. You're afraid of pushing them away. You're afraid of ever correcting them out of fear that they might resent you on the backside and throw out the mom, I hate you, or dad, I hate you line. So I'll just resist any kind of tension or confrontation in our house and just mute it with doting or dominance on the other side, however it would be, but it's child-centered parenting. Child-centered parenting, here's what's kind of crazy about it. It it likes to masquerade as gospel-centered parenting. A child-centered parent, because they're so kind and so gracious, don't I need to show grace to my child? Don't I need to um, show them that my love for them isn't dependent on their obedience or disobedience? Yes, but (laughs) instruction-heavy parenting is the same as discipline-only parenting. It, too, shows a false gospel. And and here's the false gospel— if you're only ever encouraging and doting and building up and affirming, even to the neglect of confrontation, it models a heavenly father that has no authority. It models a heavenly father that has no authority, whose commands mean nothing. You're ultimately pointing them to a God whose love for them costs him nothing. I'll just pretend like you don't do anything wrong and I'll forgive you, but it's cheap forgiveness. When good and well, we all know in plain sight, things are wrong. Instruction-centered parenting paints a false gospel of a God who has no authority and just pushes things under the rug. Dominance, right? And parent-centered parenting paints a false gospel of a God who's just heavy-handed and you better clean yourself up. Both fall into a ditch and both get it wrong. A few months ago, here's an example of child-centered parenting in my house and just kind of where where we were. A few months ago, we had... um, Uh, a moment late one evening where kids were playing in in our bedroom and uh, we heard something break and it was close to bedtime. And so it was like, all right, now it's time for bed. Everyone, right? We can't have nice things. You guys break things. Everyone off to bed, right? So everyone's going to bed and we go in there to figure out who broke, who broke the thing in our, in our bedroom. And of course, classic moment, no one did it, right? Like it was magic. Like it just fell off on its own and no one did it. Um, And so we found out that it was our oldest, and uh, we caught her in a lie, and she went off to bed after she realized that, that we knew that she was lying. She went off just in shame. She was tearful, just on her own sort of recognition that she was caught in a lie. And so I go through, and I'm putting all of our kids to bed and tucking them in, and, and I get to her last, and I say, hey, Liv, I, um, I love you, and I'm proud of you. And it was the first time in our sort of you know seven years with her, right, her, her whole life where she looked back after. Her I said, I say, I love you and I'm proud of you every night when I put her to bed. And she looked back at me and she says, why are you proud of me? I lied and I messed things up. And I looked back at her and I said, that's true. You did. But I love you and I'm proud of you because you're mine. Because you're mine. And I don't, I, don't, I rarely get this thing right, right. I'm always sort of falling off into one of the ditches. But that night when I said that, she started crying all over again. And they weren't, shameful tears they were like she gave me this big old hug right and then i leave her room and i'm crying too because it was like in that moment i got to show her the gospel yeah that stuff did happen and yeah we're gonna have to fix that but i love you and i'm not leaving you i walk out and i'm crying because i got to show my daughter the gospel and then i'm like oh god's like that with me too you know and like, I mess things up. He's eyes wide open and he doesn't flinch on me. You're mine. And my love was costly and I wasn't ashamed to pay the price of my son, right? Shows the gospel. And so sometimes, sometimes we have a tendency to think that love and discipline, that they're at odds with each other. We think they're contradictory. We've heard things said like, I love you, but, right? I love you, but, and then they fill in the blank. But that's not how God parents us. God does not father us by saying, I love you, but as if there's some sort of condition on the backside. Parenting is all about imaging the fatherhood of God in our homes. So God doesn't demand our obedience in order for Him to love us. He doesn't say, I love you, but you need to obey me. That's never what God has once said in all of His Word I love you, but you need to obey me. No. He commands our obedience, why? Because he loves us, because he loves us. I love you, so obey me. Not but, I love you, because I love you, obey me. Hebrews 12 says it this way. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary of him when he reproves you. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It would be unloving if God never spoke a word of discipline. It would be unloving for him just to leave us to ourselves. It's wildly loving that he speaks to us for our correction and our good. So then to sum all of this up, spirit-filled, God-centered parenting uses both discipline and instruction in all of life to point our children over and over to the cross of Jesus. Because here's what we have in our heavenly father. And this is for all of us. There's no amount of obeying that we could ever do that would make God love us more. And on the other side, there's no amount of disobeying we could ever do that would make God love us less. You feel how crazy that is? There's no other love like that. I can't obey God and him go, I'm gonna give you more blessings because how much you obey me. No, I love you totally in full. I can't obey anymore to get more love. And there's no amount of disobedience that removes love. How does he do this? How does God do this? Because at the cross of Jesus, he credits to us all the obedience of Jesus that we could never fulfill all the reputation and all the blessing that perfect obedience affords, God credits that to us in Jesus. And at the same time in Jesus, he fully pours out his wrath on every act of your sin, mine, disobedience that we've ever committed or ever will commit all there at the cross. So now through discipline and instruction, we can show our kids the cross of Jesus. When they disobey, we tell them, your disobedience breaks my heart, but I want you to know I don't love you any less. And when they obey, man, the way you honored me delights your father's heart, delights your mother's heart, but I want you to know I don't love you anymore because you did so. Now you're leveling the playing field. They can actually receive real love with no strings attached, right? That's a different kind of love than I grew up with. That's God's kind of love. And the whole idea of that as parents is that one day as we pray that God would open their eyes and they would recognize God and they would say to him, God, I know that you love me and so I will obey you. God, I know that you love me. I'm not obeying you to get you to love me. I'm obeying you because you already love me in full. And so moms and dads, here's how I wanna land. Those of you who will be parents in the future, what your kids need most from you is discipline and instruction. Not financial security. Not financial security. What your kids need most from you is discipline and instruction in the Lord. Not Disneyland, right? Disneyland is awesome. And if your means allow you to go there, that's great, but that's not what they need most from you. They need discipline and And instruction. And so parenting is messy. Our kids need a lot of grace, but hey, listen, parents need a lot of grace too. And I want you to know wherever you feel like you've dropped the ball, and if you're like me, a lot of places, there's more than enough grace for you there. There's more than enough grace. In fact, here's one of the things I want to encourage you to do today. As you recognize areas in your own parenting where you've fallen short, you ought to repent to your kids. You ought to own your mistakes, ask them to forgive you. Here's why. (laughs) Number one, so you don't create a false version of yourself in front of them. And number two, so it gives you a great opportunity to show them Jesus and that what they really need is a better father who never who never hurts them, who never disappoints them, and who will always stand to save them. Like my, my girls, my sons, they need a better dad than me. And I get to point them to Jesus when I have my insufficiencies right? You need to confess to your kids. And for those of you who are future parents, recognize the grace your heavenly father has given to you. And if you're like me, you've got some busted scars from your life. Where God has been patient to you, where God has been gracious to you, where God has been kind to you, extend that same kind of grace, patience, and kindness to your parents too, right? You didn't deserve the, God, the grace God gave to you. It was a gift. And in the same way, we ought to learn to release our parents from the burdens that they've stacked on us because God shoulders those too, right? And for all of us, I don't want you to hear this was just a parenting talk. This is a gospel talk, right? Any conversation about parenting that misses the fatherhood of God misses it. All of us are learning to be fathered by God. So where today you feel like you have instincts to prove yourself and to announce yourself, slow down under the grace of a father who already says, you are my beloved and with you I'm well pleased, right? And receive that today. Receive his patience, receive his, in, his discipline, receive his correction, receive his instruction, receive his I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. And as we're fathered by God, we'll learn to parent our sons and daughters.